The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 7, Run Silent, Run Deep. You're Only Human, written by Veronica Jaguer and Mercedes Lackey. Ramona Ferrari couldn't remember the last time she had been at her apartment to do more than sleep and exchange one Echo uniform for another. She fumbled her keys in her hand and managed to unlock the door to her apartment. As she stepped inside, a faint blue overlay courtesy of the Overwatch system allowed her to do a brief sweep of the rooms. Icons blinked to show her the pile of mail on the counter, with the most important bills flagged as due or overdue. In the kitchen, icons popped up to remind her of what was and wasn't in her refrigerator, what had likely spoiled, what she needed to have delivered from the grocery service that Vicky had recommended, and a list of vetted restaurants that could have dinner at her door in thirty minutes or less. The amount of information overwhelmed the detective. The beginning of a headache throbbed at the base of her skull, and another panel of information came up with a list of her vital signs, potential triggers, and no less than four solutions. Ramona gritted her teeth and screwed her eyes shut. This was not a way to relax for the few hours she didn't have to be on duty. With a curse, she turned off the HUD and kicked off her shoes, only to decide that she didn't have the patience to put up with delivery food. She summoned enough energy to make it to the kitchen, pour a bowl of cinnamon-frosted echoes, she smiled at Mercury's cheesy grin on the front of the box, and slump at the kitchen table. She didn't bother with milk. According to the readouts, what was left in the fridge had spoiled days ago. Ramona thumbed the TV remote and scanned to a small local station not affiliated with the bigger networks. Reality was 90% perception, and she wanted to see just how the lesser media saw Verdigree and his gesture of goodwill. As skeptic after skeptic voiced concerns about cost, aesthetics, proximity, and even the continuing failures of Echo to address the greater rebuilding processes in the city, Ramona felt assured that she wasn't the only non-meta who saw the man for what he was. People on the street questioned the benevolence of a man so tied to his money, who relied upon an attractive female bodyguard, and who seemed to do things oblivious to the resources of a city so diverse as Atlanta. Even the news pundits sprinkled their noses when they spoke about the dedication and promised complete coverage. With some satisfaction, Ramona realized that Spin Doctor had not appeared on this smaller station. She felt certain that Dittrix would keep him out of Overwatch until the very last moment necessary, and she agreed wholeheartedly with that decision. The less people knew about the entire operation, the better. Ferrari, are you there? Ramona paused, her mouth full of cereal as Pride's voice came through the Overwatch channel. Even in the confines of her own home, she couldn't escape responsibility. Yeah, Pride. She swallowed and muted the television as the weather folks started to talk about the perfect day for the dedication. What's going on? Logistics for the event. His voice came in a whisper. Verdigree called a meeting ten minutes ago to start in an hour. Were you invited? She set her spoon down with a hard thwack and took a deep breath. Her phone on the counter flashed a small green light to show unread messages. She reached over and scanned through the list of emails, but nothing corresponded to a meeting with Verdigree and his bodyguard Barbie. Negative, sir. Should I invite myself? 
Even as she asked the question, she stood and began gathering her things, putting the half-eaten bowl of cereal on the counter. Well, he's mostly talking about other memorials to follow this one, including a plaque near Stone Mountain. I think it's mostly just talk, but I know how you felt about Bill's situation. Pride sounded as if he was trying to keep his own temper in check. How soon can you get here? It took a great deal of control for Ramona to not fling the bowl to the ground in frustration. She had left her car at the CCCP headquarters, trusting the Russians under Vicky's direction to outfit it per the Overwatch specifications. That left the detective at the mercy of Marta and the rest of the public transportation system to commute to the Echo Campus. About forty minutes if I leave right now. If you can, tell Spin to flip to the local channels and figure out a contingency plan post-dedication. We're losing face fast among the hometown crowd, and I don't think we can afford it. A pause, then Yankee Pride's voice rumbled in her ear. We'll do, detective. And thank you. The mandatory meeting of those Echo personnel that Verdegree deemed as necessary to his brilliant public relations demonstration sat in the small press briefing room. In the surveillance video... Dominic Verdigree gripped the sides of the podium and smiled at those assembled. The newer faces, hand-picked from the faithful of Blacksnake and appropriately threatened by Kanjar, watched him with varying expressions of interest and curiosity. The others, Echo Faithful still mourning the loss of Alex Tesla, showed everything from fear to open hostility. Verdigree noted that Yankee Pride sat in the front row, gauntlets dim and his mouth set in a firm line. He chuckled with satisfaction as the man fought back a scowl. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate your being here on such short notice. As many of you are aware, the remembrance ceremony for what we have termed the invasion will take place in less than a week, and it is imperative that you... The speech stopped as the door on his left snapped open and an echo detective rushed in. Without any form of apology, she took a seat on the aisle and flipped open a small notebook. Verdigree paused the footage and zoomed in on the image of Detective Ferrari. He snaked out an arm to pull Kanjar into his lap, motioning to the screen. "'You're losing your touch, my dear. I think we have a no-fat-nosy detective rule in place, don't we?' Kanjar waited for Dominic's hand to rest securely on her hip before speaking. Keeping her out was not advised. As a non-meta, she presents a lower threat, and she was not armed. Consider this a means to test a hypothesis. Oh, I love it when you talk scientific method. He sped up the footage, playing through the speech and watching the detective's reaction. At one point, she extracted a small tablet from her pocket and began typing furiously. After a few minutes, Verdigree watched in slight shock as she pulled up an invitation list for the event and began checking off those metas who had accepted and would be arriving at the airport. He straightened up, pushed Kanjar from his lap, and increased the resolution. That's my database! That's my 1,024-bit encryption algorithm, and that woman is in my database, reading my invitation list during my press conference! With the grace of a spoiled child, Verdigree pounded the keyboard and pointed an accusing finger at Kanjar. This is your fault. 
How could you let this happen? The Meta smoothed her pristine white jumpsuit and tucked a dark strand of hair behind her ear. She had endured many of Dominic's tantrums, and this would pass like all the others. As you claim, I let this happen to prove a hypothesis. Regardless of what you wish to think, that fat, nosy detective is your mole. Verdigree snorted. Impossible. She's a civilian detective, no ability, certainly average intelligence. I don't believe you. He crossed his arms and slumped in his chair, pouting. Kanjar offered a small sigh of exasperation as she leaned over Dominic to bring up another series of protocols and video feeds. The images did not have the crispness of the echo camera, but she could still easily point out the figures of Fermona Ferrari and Yankee Pride leaving the building that was occupied by members of the CCCP. Another series of photographs showed the detective and Yankee Pride in civilian clothing, standing closer than one might have thought appropriate for just co-workers. Finally, a classified report from the investigator he had bribed, with a footnote from Kanjar highlighted to show the suspected ties between Ferrari and Pride, as well as... Ferrari and Tesla? Alex Tesla? Verdigree's forehead creased, the thought so absurd yet so utterly plausible that he nearly fell out of his chair. Kanjar continued to show photographs, including one showing them sharing breakfast in a diner away from the Echo Campus. That, that is... Your problem, she finished in a crisp tone. She straightened up, noting that his eyes followed the scoop neckline of her jumpsuit. Not everyone has the same motivations as you do, Dominic. The little people are not always insignificant. Just easier to squash. Like an annoying mosquito, he quipped. He drummed his fingers against his desk, biting his tongue as he considered his options. Verdigree flipped through the photos a second time, lingering on the one that showed Ferrari and Tesla outside the trailer that had served as the director's office. His scowl deepened, but quickly turned into a hard grin as he spun in his chair. Call the boys downtown, Kanjar. I think it's time to retire the detective before she can do any more damage to our memorial ceremony. Fingers danced over the keyboard as he pulled up schematics, maps, and several video feeds from the transportation surveillance. I didn't want to invite her anyway. Ramona made it to the Marta station with less than a minute to spare, the last train of the night giving the alert for the closing doors. She shifted against her seat and tucked up her leg, resting her cheek against the cool metal wall. The thrum of the train made for a steady and soothing vibration as the announcements began and the doors closed. As she was one of the last to leave the Echo Campus for the night, Ramona had no company save Vicky's equally tired voice in her ear. The dim car clicked through the outer areas of the city faster than rush-hour traffic, but the winking lights let Ramona know that there weren't many people out on the streets past midnight in the middle of the week. I'm checking on intel regarding Memorial at Stone Mountain, but I'm not getting anything. He might have been bluffing, Detective. The words were calm and hopeful, yet Vicky sounded as tired as Ramona felt. He likes to talk, and he likes to see what people do while he talks. 
I think you can stop worrying about him doing anything for Bill. Thanks, Overwatch. Ramona stifled a yawn, her eyes closed as they continued north into the city. There was some bit of comfort in knowing that Verdery wasn't trying to use the memory of the mountain for his personal gain. And thanks for the link to the database. Were you able to contact most of the retired metas to tell them about the charter? Affirmative. Pride went to talk to the locals face to face, but it looks like everyone's on board. He's a good man, she murmured. Exhausted, she fought to stay awake against the gentle rocking of the train. Pride's one of the good guys, yeah. Jamie's married to the job, though. And maybe if he was younger... Nah, too serious. But he is good-looking in a suit. A tired laugh came through. <laughs> Don't tell me you're going to give up on Mercury, Detective. You know when he gets back, you'll be the first person he'll want to see. In the dark of the car, a sleepy smile spread across the detective's face. She thought of the grinning speedster, the awkward science fiction fanboy transformed into a living hero, still stuck in Metis with a few blue wireframes to keep him company. Yeah, I know. He's pretty cute, huh? If you go for shirtless and blonde. I was thinking more along the lines of blue eyes and Trek-obsessed. Ramona gave a soft sigh of contentment as she let her mind wander back to the image of Rick Poitier sitting in front of her, eagerly discussing the news from Echo, smiling at her with that beautiful... Ferrari, get down! The voice screeched in her ear, jolting her up from the light sleep. In the light of the coming station, Ramona could see the first set of charges detonate against the concrete supports. The metal supports groaned and snapped, sliding forward to push the train sideways off the track. Activate the display! Ramona blinked, the display from the implant coming into view. Her vision blurred briefly, too much information about the car, the charges, and the crumbling concrete that pressed against the windows. More information flashed to the right and left, telling her that the first set of charges had triggered a rush of neurotoxins into the forward area of the car. Overwatch, I've got chemical contamination. You're going to need to prep an evac. This isn't going to be... A second set of charges exploded ahead, tearing through the metal train like tissue paper. The force of the blast threw Ramona to the floor, the momentum sending her sliding to the side of the car. Her head hit the side of the bench with a loud crack, and the detective flopped like a rag doll as blood poured from her face. Glass shattered, concrete and rebar coming through the window. Ramona tried to throw an arm over her face, but her shoulder hung limply and she couldn't feel her fingers in her left hand. She struggled to lift her head, blinking to refresh the view. A small oblong icon showed at the rear of the car, a few feet from where she had been sitting. The tiny timer displayed a very brief countdown to ignition. Overwatch? Can't... cancel evac. There's no... The final charge under the back of the last car peeled the metal forward and forced it from the track. Ramona felt the shockwave push her away from the car, the bottom giving way as the car bowed out and tumbled to its side. A rush of heat burned over her, her face raw and wet for an excruciating long moment. The heavy night air replaced the heat, and Ramona found herself face up in the twisted metal, unable to comprehend the flurry of voices in her ear. Something like sleep pulled her away from Vicky's frantic voice, 
and Ramona slipped beneath the rush to a place absent of noise and pain. The seraphim alerted, like a dog catching a scent. Ramona Ferrari. Not once, but now twice she had seen this woman in the futures. She paused in her conversation with John Murdoch, her eyes far away and distant as she felt the ripple in the fabric of the futures. She bowed her head and left the rooftop in a surge of light and fire, with the barest of apologies on her lips. In the end, they would all need this woman. She had to bring her to them, in the dead of night, in order for the futures to take hold. The seraphim touched the broken earth, scorched and torn around the broken body. The briefest bit of life remained. She held on to that life and cradled the woman in her arms. Another step, and she stood once again on the rooftop, eyes full of tears as she gave the woman to John. He held back as many questions as he could, the now frantic voices of Vicky and Bella filling the Overwatch channels. The seraphim nodded her thanks and waited. John's sure steps down the stairwell soon echoed by the frantic footfalls of the CCCP medical team. A high-pitched voice gave orders and demanded answers, and the seraphim knew she would be needed again to assist the young medic. Thankfully, this was permitted. Soviet hooked the echo detective up to life support and began her own frantic efforts to keep the woman alive psychically. In the end, she was quickly exhausted and barely holding Ramona Ferrari in a precarious state of stasis when Bella shoved in the door of the med bay. The blue medic swore steadily under her breath as, with practiced motions, she plugged herself into a repurposed hemophoresis machine and placed her hands on the blackened flesh, and then paused with shock. Sovi, Vic, we have... Shit. What? Vicky all but shouted, as Soviet blinked and echoed, Stol? She's meta! Say what? Vicky blurted. She can't be! She never triggered, not even during the invasion! She's a norm! I'm telling you, I read it. Whatever she was before this, she's meta now. She's got the healing factor, it's partially triggered, and it's the only reason she's alive now, and, and something else tied to the healing factor. Bella kept both hands on the unconscious woman, but she was fighting a losing battle and she knew it. There was only one way she could save Ramona Ferrari. Trigger her completely. And she knew very well what had happened the last time she'd done that to Bulwark. She'd almost killed him. Sovi knew it, too, and showed it with a swift intake of breath. Sestra, leave alone the ethics of doing a trigger without consent— if I don't, she dies, Bella said harshly. If I do, maybe she lives, but if I don't, she dies. We can't hold her much longer. There was a moment of silence among the three of them, Soviet, Bella, and Vicky still listening on Overwatch. It was Vicky who finally spoke. In the absence of patient preference, what is the primary duty of a physician? Screw that you aren't a doctor, Bells, you might as well be. So what's your duty? Sovi's eyes cleared, and she nodded. Vedma is giving correct thinking, Sestra. I am physician, and I say that. Make every effort to preserve life, Bella said, through gritted teeth and anxiety so high it made her voice go up half an octave. All right, then. Stand by, Sovi. 
God and Marx only knows what's going to happen. She plunged deeply into the healing gestalt and spoke to Ramona's cells, fully triggering the metahuman healing factor and watching in a state of near panic as the unknown other triggered after it in a cascade. Then she was too busy trying to keep control of the situation as Ramona began pulling energy out of her rather than passively receiving it. Somewhere in the back of her awareness, she heard Soviet call urgently for Upir and felt a pair of cool hands going to her temple, infusing her with somewhat musty, flavored power. Nat must have some thugs in the CCCP brig who are going to wake up with a hell of a hangover. Three times more this happened, and then... I am here, little sister. And the flow of slightly tainted power was replaced by that impossible geyser of pure, sweet energy that she could only, barely, sip at without being overwhelmed. Once again, Sarah had come to the rescue. And finally, the demand on her shut off. With a feeling of relief, at least Ramona hadn't died of whatever she'd triggered, she opened her eyes and took away her hands. Well, she observed weakly, at least I didn't kill her, and she only looks half-cooked now. The blackened skin was flaking away as Soviet cut off what was left of the detective's clothing, leaving behind something that looked like second-degree burns rather than third and fourth degree. But Soviet was frowning. What? Bella asked. The physician pointed with her chin. There was being a cart with tray with surgical instruments there, she said. Bella blinked and craned her neck a little. There was nothing there now next to the surgical table but four rubber wheels. I'm thinking it was good thing table is being plastic. But there hadn't been any of the cellular changes there had been to bulwark. In fact, Bella hadn't noticed anything other than the incredible draw on her own powers and energy. Where'd it go? she asked, feeling stupid. I mean, what'd she do with it? I do not know, Yadviga replied, with a touch of irritation. But scissors are all I was being to save, and I am yet pleased about losing equipment. Fret not, Echo Med will provide, Vicky's voice answered before Bella could. Or better still, I'm diverting a nice package on its way back from autoclaving and sterilization that's coming from Green Boy's private black snake clinic. Horosho, Yadviga said, mollified. Spasibo, Overwatch. Think nothing of it. I got visual feed from Sovi if you want to see what happened, Bella, but basically, near as I can describe, it was like some sort of movie SFX. The stuff just started sucking into her with no obvious changes in her other than the healing. Bella pulled the feeds to the phoresis machine out of the plugs in her arms. Sweet mother of pearl, she said, suddenly feeling every bit of what she'd just gone through. Did you do that pain-sharing thing? Because that's the only part I don't think I did. Soviet nodded. It was not being pleasant, let me tell you. Would not have wished to be you when doing similar healing on Jeannie. She hung an ivy bag on a stand and prepared to insert the needle in Ramona's arm. 
Thankfully, the detective had not woken up yet. She was still going to be in a fair amount of pain when she did, until they got some painkillers into her. If it were not for... Boss my! What? Vicky and Bella said simultaneously. But Bella had already spotted what had made Soviet exclaim and drop the IV needle. The back of Ramona's hand, where Soviet had been trying to insert the IV needle, now sported a shiny metal shell. Ramona blinked open one eye, the effort Herculean as her eyelids felt like lead weights. She immediately regretted the motion, lights streaming from the overhead igniting a headache. Soft whirring preceded a trio of gentle beeps from the corner of the room. A soft voice spoke in Russian, followed by a higher-pitched response that started in Russian and ended in English. Both sounded exhausted. It's good to see you awake, detective. The gentle face of the CCCP's lead medic came into Ramona's field of vision. She laid a hand against her forearm and studied Ramona's face, as if the simple gesture could tell her more than the nearby machines. Do you know where you are? Ramona worked to open her mouth, but her jaw felt incredibly heavy. She struggled to move her tongue, and her words slurred, the taste of copper and aluminum foil filling her mouth. Her face screwed up, and she tried to form the words again. C-C-P-H-Q, she managed. I was on my way home. It was the last train of the night. And the explosion. The explosion ripped four cars from the track and rendered the southwest routes completely useless. During the time of the explosion, no civilians were present. As far as the public knows, Bella moved next to Soviet, her face twisted in a half-smile. Detective Ramona Ferrari is dead. Congratulations, you're a ghost. Feel free to pull the bedsheets over your head and make scary noises. But I'm not dead. Yet. Soviet and Bella exchanged nervous frowns as Ramona struggled and shifted to sit up. You are being very much alive, and remarkably so. Would not have expected you to survive. Even her fingers felt heavy. Ramona gripped at the sheets and tried to sit up. She expected wires and tubes to stop her movement, but as she pushed herself up against the pillows, she found nothing. An unfamiliar queasiness rumbled in her stomach. Given what they had said, Ramona expected a spider web of medical connections. How... how long have I been asleep? Nine hours. It's quarter past eleven. Soviet pulled up a stool, Bella following suit and resting her hands against the bedsheets. Ramona thought the blue girl looked too pale and exhausted to be awake. The... next day? Yeah. The next day... Bella exhaled slowly, gathering the little strength that she had. Like Sophie said, we didn't expect you to survive. We worked on you, but we had to take some extreme measures. Extreme measures? She could still taste tinfoil on her tongue. Ramona quickly checked to make sure that she still had both legs, both arms, and the ability to wiggle fingers and toes. 
Her entire body ached, and her lower abdomen felt as if someone had wrapped her in flaming barbed wire from the inside out, but she seemed to be whole. Memories of her leaving the Echo Campus progressed to boarding the train, a quick debrief with Victrix via Overwatch, and then... Ramona felt her entire body shudder. Anxiety welled up and she couldn't control the trembling, her heels knocking hard against the end of the bed. As if she had been waiting for the shakes to come, Bella reached for Ramona's hands. Weak waves of calm moved over them both. Our priority was to keep you alive. During the first fifteen minutes, it took everything to keep you from fading out. If it hadn't been for... for the evac, you'd be a smear underneath metal and concrete. When J.M. brought you in, we did everything we could, but... Am I still me? Ramona gripped Bella's hand tightly. The blue woman gasped in pain, and Ramona quickly let go, apology on her lips and fear in her eyes. Instinctively, the detective searched for a mirror, any kind of reflective surface. Fingers flew to her face as she tried to reassure herself that extreme measures didn't mean some self-contained suit or some full-body transplant. Bella flexed her fingers. Yes, you're you. But I had to trigger something in your cells to help you to repair the damage. You came and burned and flooded with toxin from the inside out and broken all over. Anyone normal wouldn't have survived to make it here. She took a deep breath, steeling herself to meet Ramona's eyes. You had a latent metafactor. I don't know if it's always been there, but I saw it and used it. After that, you... You healed yourself. Yadviga laid a gentle hand on Ramona's shoulder. With help from others, but you healed yourself. A latent metafactor? As in metahuman meta? The queasiness increased, although the trembling and anxiety didn't return. So I'm like you? I can regenerate and heal other people? The two women shared a worried glance. No, Bella finally admitted. You're metahuman by all definitions, but healing isn't what we'd call the origin power. From what we saw, you're one of those who's able to manipulate inorganic material and incorporate it into your cellular structure. It's not uncommon, but it's one of the harder ones to manage. Inorganic? Cellular what? Ramona pulled her hand away and threw back the sheets. She started to move her legs, but she screamed when she saw the mottled metal around her ankles and calves. With no concern for modesty, she pulled away the top of the hospital gown. Where she had felt burning wire around her torso, swaths of surgical steel covered her skin, the edges pink and tender. She pushed back against the pillows, futilely trying to distance herself from the injury. Instead, the bed groaned with the stress and weight. The two women grabbed her arms, keeping her from getting up as Ramona thrashed and cried. Ramona, stop! You're... you're not... please, we can't give you anything! Billa grimaced as she fought with the detective. Calm down or I'll have to... Ramona struggled for half a minute more, fear and anger giving way to despair and loss as she didn't wake up from some horrible dream on her way home from Echo. She felt Bella's attempt at consolation. 
but she finally gave in as the Russian woman put both arms around her shoulders and drew the blankets up around her chest. With nothing left to do, Ramona gave in to her grief and sobbed, exhausted and full of questions that neither of them were able to answer. Well? Red Savior stood outside the room, arms folded across her chest. Bella slipped out the door, rubbing at her face. It's not accident that caused this, I am certain. As am I. Miss Victrix confirmed from the cameras around the station. This was planned. Yankee Pride's gauntlets glowed with energy, his mouth drawn tight. And for us to succeed, Verdigree has to think he won this round. Bella nodded once. Then... We say nothing. Let him draw his own conclusions. Keep her here to recover in the meantime. Everything surrounding the ceremony goes as planned. And Pride... I know, Miss Parker. Miss Victrix says she can supply some convincing remains. Officially, Detective Ramona Ferrari is dead. You have been listening to Season 7 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin MacLeod, available at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the amazing people at Bayon Books. Follow the series at www.secretworldchronicle.com. Join us on Facebook and check out the authors on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.